0: Hello Thrive Nation, welcome to the Made to Thrive show, and on this episode... Aging and death is
1: directly attributable to the porosity of the wall of the gut, and as that wall literally begins to crumble, everything else falls apart. As long as that wall is intact, wow, you're... You know, you're you're good to go and you, you can prove this in flatworms. You can prove it in mice models. It's that integrity of the wall is all disease begins in the gut.
0: Chances are you may have an autoimmune disorder or you know someone who has one. Autoimmune conditions have spiraled out of control. U.S. stats have clearly shown that 25% of American population has an autoimmune condition. That's 80 million people. Really crazy stuff. And Africa presents a very similar picture. Conditions like rheumatoid arthritis, Crohn's, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, lupus, multiple sclerosis are all becoming way too familiar. But there is a solution for 94% of anyone listening to this podcast who has one of these conditions. That's the success rate of my guest today, who has been a doctor for over 40 years, a cardiologist who at 72 still works every day, who is Tony Robbins' personal physician, and who is as sharp as ever before. I make a huge deal about how successful Dr. Stephen Gundry is at treating, managing, and eradicating autoimmune conditions. This is not hearsay, but documented by one of the most well-known doctors worldwide, So share this with anyone who struggles with an autoimmune condition. There is hope. Not a 100% guarantee, but about 94% success rate. Dr. Stephen Gundry is a cardiologist, heart surgeon, medical researcher and author. His mission is to improve health, happiness and longevity through a unique vision of human nutrition. During his 40-year career in medicine, he performed countless pediatric heart transplants, developed patented life-saving medical technology and published over 300 articles and book chapters on his research. Dr. Gundry is also the author of an array of books including The Plant Paradox, The Energy Paradox, The Longevity Paradox and his most recent book Unlocking the Keto Code. We get into the explosion of autoimmune diseases from being funny diseases in Dr. Gundry's early career to being 80% of Dr. Gundry's patients. What Dr. Gundry recently admitted to getting wrong about keto and how that informs his new book, Unlocking the Keto Code. The sensitivity spectrum of autoimmune disease and why for some people they cannot have cheat days. Time-restricted eating ketones and polyphenols and much, much more. My three takeaways from the podcast. Firstly, autoimmune conditions are exponentially increasing, but there is significant hope with natural interventions. Number two lifestyle and diet play a huge factor in managing autoimmune diagnoses and number three unlocking the keto code is an inspiring and informative read for the layperson to ensure they do keto right for the sponsor today it's ergo therapy they've been my healthy furniture partner for over 20 years and my standing desk and ergonomics chair supports my spine and prevents pain and body fatigue we have a special discount code and link on my website made to thrive that gives you 10% off. It's a really important part of your buy hacking protocol. You'll also find valuable cutting-edge content to empower you on my site, made2thrive.ca.za, while Instagram and LinkedIn are great places to connect with me and engage in the value we have to offer. My IG handle is SteveStabs00. Join the May Thrive community to combat chronic diseases like autoimmune and prevent sickness and suffering from dominating your life. If you're on Apple or Spotify, please rate and review as this helps us enormously to get cool guests on the show. You can also send your feedback and questions to either connect at or to my WhatsApp direct line 064-871-0308. I'm your host, Steve Stabs, Africa's pro biohacker and health futurist, And this is The Made to Thrive Show. Hello, Thrive Nation. I've got a real health hero and I have been reading his books, listening to him for a long time. He's got an incredible podcast called The Dr. Gundry Podcast. And on the 8th of March, 2022, he said something so fascinating. He said, I got it wrong. And when a physician Of his caliber, a cardiothoracic surgeon. He's written so many books, The Plant Paradox. This is one of my favorite books that I recommend to my patients as a physician. It's been since 2017. It's changed so many lives here in Africa. Dr. Gundry doesn't even know my practice. It's been going on for 23 years, but he's changed so many people's lives because he's committed to transforming people through his work. And it's an honor and a privilege to have Dr. Gundry on the show. Well, Steve, thanks you very
1: much for having me. And thank you for that nice introduction. I don't deserve any of it.
0: You do because you're courageous in your calling. You could have carried on as a surgeon, but you decided to be a pioneer in nutrition and expert in the microbiome. And I want to frame this next podcast, Dr. Gandhi, because as a physician, I have just seen exponential increase in autoimmune disorders. I've seen an exponential increase in fatigue. And for those in the show notes, we're gonna be putting the energy paradox, we're gonna put the plant paradox, the longevity paradox, and then the most important book, the one that he's released now, Unlocking the Keto Code. But if we can frame it around two conditions that I'm just seeing an exponential increase, one is autoimmune disorders. Uh, Give us a little bit about the stats. I know some of the stats on autoimmune, what's happening in the States. And then secondly, fatigue. Tiredness, Malay people are just coming in. They do not have the energy they used to. So, let's start with autoimmune. Give us a bit of a background on what's happening and why there is such an increase in autoimmune disorders. Well, you know, when when I was in medical school back in the dark ages,
1: um, autoimmune disease was. Uh, we would order what were called funny tests to look for autoimmune disease, and they were called funny tests because it was so unusual to see autoimmune disease as a part of a diagnosis that was almost a, almost a disease of exclusion. And so, and we called them funny tests. Um, And now you're right. We, uh, like in the United States, has this, you know, explosion of autoimmune disease. certainly now in my practice, about 80% of the people I see uh, see me for autoimmune diseases that, um, you know, basically came out of nowhere in many of these people's lives. And if you watch American television where drug companies are allowed to advertise, probably hmm, 80 to 90% of all the advertisements on TV are for autoimmune disease drugs, for immunosuppressant drugs. And, you know, as a as a former heart transplant surgeon, uh, I the first thing I do when I see one of my new patients with autoimmune disease who happens to be on one of these, quote, miraculous immunosuppressant drugs, I said, what in the world are you doing on a transplant drug? I didn't put a heart into you. Nobody put a kidney into you. Why in the world would you be on in an immunosuppressant drug? And... I still say that. So you're right. It it has just been an epidemic. Uh, there's some feeling that 60 to 80 million women in the United States uh, have Hashimoto's thyroiditis. I mean, it, I mean, it's just mind boggling. Mm. So and you know, I've I've written about this, and others have written about this. But I think Hippocrates actually got it right 2,500 years ago when he said all disease begins in the gut. Now, how he knew that without our sophisticated tests that we now can inform ourselves that he was right, I mean, it still is mind-boggling to me how he actually knew this. Uh, I'll give you one other interesting aside. Uh, I have a patient who's a Buddhist scholar, a fairly new patient, and he... uh, reads all the original buddhist texts in sanskrit and he said you know it's interesting uh buddha was a contemporary of hippocrates um, and buddha actually wrote that enlightenment comes from the intestines and it's like wow,
0: wow.
1: <laughs> wow <that's laughs> how, how how do these guys know this yeah, that's uh that's so
0: incredible so, autoimmune, immune, you know, I want to ask you and just ask you straight because I've been dealing with it for a long time. You have a 94% success rate with autoimmune. Can you confirm that and then take us through the process? And obviously, I want you to include the plant paradox. It's the first time I've had you on the Mate to Thrive show. Many people have not even heard of what a lectin is. You know, I work with nutritionists. I work with my nurse. We have a lectin-free diet. We try and get them on these. We've obviously got the lab tests and all the functional medicine tests, but Confirm your success rate at 94%, number one. And number two, the stat I have is 20 to 25% of Americans have an autoimmune that comes to about 80 million uh, people. And that is cardiovascular disease, cancer, and neurodegenerative diseases combined just with autoimmune. Yeah.
1: In fact, again, to, to go back to Hippocrates, I've, I've come now to the feeling, um, that really heart disease uh, is an autoimmune disease. I've, I've written about this in the past. And the more I look at people with coronary artery disease and leaky gut markers, the more I'm convinced that this is just another manifestation of, of leaky gut. And so, um, where, you're right, uh, my published data is 94% within one year. Uh, now, now how, how do we measure that? Well, this is not symptom, uh, this is actually measuring autoimmune markers like, you know, Hashimoto's markers, antithyroglobulin, thyroporoxidase, anti-nuclear antibody, double-stranded DNA, we could go on and on. And so we, and we look at, markers for leaky gut. I use primarily anti-zonulin IgG and anti-actin IgG. And we do a lot of testing for whether people are sensitive to various foods, certainly almost everyone with leaky gut. Uh, is sensitive to the various components of wheat. I think I've seen maybe one out of several thousand who isn't sensitive to wheat. Mm. One of the big surprises to people in the gluten-free community is that, at least in my practice, 70% of people who are sensitive to wheat with leaky gut are sensitive to corn. And a great deal of... um, Gluten-free products, unfortunately, have corn. And like I wrote about in The Plant Paradox, if you look at actual celiac patients with uh, duodenal biopsy, which is the gold standard of diagnosing celiac disease, put them on a gluten-free diet for a year and a half, fully 70% of those people still have celiac by biopsy following a gluten-free diet. And that's one of the things that really pushed me, um, you know, when I started all this years ago to say, well, wait a minute, there's other components besides gluten that, you know, can absolutely cause intestinal permeability. And that, among other things, is this family of uh, plant defense proteins called lectins. So that was the part and parcel of the plant paradox. Uh, I'm, I'm a confirmed plant predator. I eat a lot of plants. But you got to know which ones um, you've adapted to and which ones uh, don't have your back and which, you know, really don't want to be eaten. I think the other thing that bears mentioning, and I've talked about that uh, actually in the plant paradox and even more so in unlocking the keto code, particularly in the United States, um, glyphosate, which is the major component of Roundup, is... By itself, uh, a uh, intestinal uh, wall disruptor. It was patented by Monsanto as an antibiotic, not as an herbicide. Mm. And you go, well, wait a minute. Uh, that's interesting because Monsanto has assured us that it's safe for us because we don't use the shikimate pathway, uh, but plants use the shikimate pathway. And so it's okay. But what they didn't tell us is that bacteria use the shikimate pathway and that's how it was patented as an antibiotic. Yeah. So we've done, you know, a tremendous disservice to at least ourselves in the United States and exporting Roundup, uh, elsewhere that, um, we see, you know, Roundup is in everything in the United States. It's in our wines. My, um, you know, my goodness, have South African wines. I think you guys are safe. Um, I mean, it's in our organic oat products, and don't get me started on oats because they're actually pretty mischievous in themselves. Yeah, but it, but it's everywhere, and so um, that coupled with, like I talk about in the Plant Paradox, are Overuse of antibiotics in general uh, for our patients and uh, our overuse of antibiotics in our uh, feedlot animals um, is just you are what you eat, but you are what the thing you're eating. Yeah. We've decimated our microbiome. And like I, a lot of people don't read carefully. Um, we our microbiome is actually really good at defending us uh, against, believe it or not, plant um, defense systems like lectins. In fact, there are bacteria that love to eat gluten; they just thrive on it. And what we've done is we've just literally destroyed our, you know, defense system against you know what we build up through eons of tolerating plants. Yeah couple with that is now we've got kind of a wide open path through the wall of our gut by these compounds. And uh, then you add glyphosate in the mix and you've just got the perfect storm that we're observing, you know, in my practice and in your practice.
0: Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, yeah. it's crazy, it's, it's crazy. It's, and we had Dr. Stephanie Seneff and we will link to that show, the glyphosate specialist on The Mate to Thrive. Some scary stats in autism. New Jersey kids, one in 20s born on the ASD spectrum from the 1950s, one in 10,000. So things are changing. Autoimmune is increasing to such a degree. Unfortunately, in South Africa, glyphosate is just pernicious. It's found everywhere. The laws haven't changed since 1961, the environmental laws. So we've got a significant problem you can find it on the shelves of hardwares in this country and even the stats in the states that i follow you know kentucky the state of kentucky has 75 percent of the water and the air is filled with glyphosate so we have a significant problem but we do have dr gundry and many of his colleagues and why do i say that you mentioned hippocrates dr gundry hippocrates said the greatest medicine of all what did he say the greatest medicine of all is? Is to teach people how not to need it. And you're a teacher. You've written many books. You've impacted many lives. Take us through the framework of the plant paradox, the energy paradox, the longevity paradox, and then eventually unlocking the keto code. Because as great as the, the keto code is, and we've got a very rich history with Professor Tim Noakes and the low-carbohydrate, high-fat diet Yeah. I think it's the combination of those books and the knowledge that is filtered and built up on each other that makes it so effective. So you can eat keto or be keto, but eat the wrong plants and you've got a problem on your hands. So take us through a bit of a framework with autoimmune, and then we can talk about fatigue, which I think they are related, but take us a bit of through the framework through three variables, when to eat, what to eat, and how much to eat.
1: Okay. So one of the things that um, I see a lot of people who have been uh, treated for, quote, leaky gut, and they've been asked to take, oh, anti-inflammatory substances, eat anti-inflammatory foods, take gut healing supplements. And don't get me wrong, there is absolutely a place for all of this. But my point to all these patients who have in general not gotten any better is it's, you know, it's okay to do this, but if the components that are actually causing leaky gut are still coming through your mouth, um, you know, you can keep trying to patch the wall of your gut, but if you're swallowing razor blades, you you got to you know you got to start with taking away these compounds exactly. that you know are known to actually cause this. It's not it's not conjecture. Um, you know, Alessio Fasano was wonderful enough to actually show how gluten uh, actually promotes leaky gut. It's a measurable phenomenon, uh, and so it's not pseudoscience i suppose if you'd asked me 20 years ago what i thought of leaky gut i probably would have said it's pseudoscience but uh, now we know it's you know it's a it's an it's a measurable phenomenon we can see with our blood tests what individual people are sensitive to and when we ask them to remove the major lectin-containing foods from their diet and any the other foods that they, in particular, are sensitive to because of their leaky gut, then we can, and we do these blood tests every three months, and we can actually watch the progress of repair of leaky gut. Now, when I started this over 20 years ago, I was naive and I really thought, oh, you know, we can see a leaky gut in a couple weeks. But this is this is usually a nine months to year wow. long process, wow. and I wish it didn't take that long. But again, I think I was probably naive about how totally destroyed our microbiome our microbiome is, yeah. and how really damaged the uh, the wall of our gut is. In fact, I'll I'll give you an aside. I was recently I had um, Walter Longo, my friend from US, USC, with his longevity thoughts. And we we agree on a, a great number of things. Um one of the things we disagree with is that he thinks after the age of 65, we should start increasing the amount of protein we eat because older people uh clearly it looks like their protein needs go up. And what I argue is that no, the protein needs are going up because the wall of their gut is increasingly damaged as they get older from this constant bombardment of the foods we eat. And so what we're observing is not a need for more protein, but a need to repair a leaky gut. And I see that all the time. I see these older individuals in their late 70s, 80s, who clearly have low albumins, sometimes low total proteins, and I put them on a protein-restricted diet and lectin-restricted diet, and their albumins and their protein levels go up. Now, why do I do that? Um, Because I'm convinced, along with uh, a number of others, that uh, high protein increases insulin-like growth factor one, and I don't want Insulin like growth factor one to go up as I age, I want it to go way down. The other reason, as I wrote about in the longevity paradox, is certainly in animal studies, uh, aging and death is directly attributable to the porosity of the wall of the gut. Hmm. And as that wall literally begins to crumble, Everything else falls apart. As long as that wall is intact, wow, you're you know you're you're good to go, and you you can prove this in flatworms. You can prove it in mice models. It's that integrity of the wall is all disease begins in the gut.
0: Brilliant. So let's talk about. I mean, that's an excellent summary. Firstly, let's talk, we get a lot of functional medicine doctors listening to the show. Those major tests are not everything, but what are the major five tests? Is it HSCRP? Is it looking at GGT? Is it looking at liver enzymes? Is it looking like oxidative stress, like T3 to reverse T3 ratio? What? Someone listening saying, okay, I need to measure my inflammatory markers. What are the big keys that they can look at?
1: Yeah, so HSCRP, unfortunately, is is... In my opinion, fairly useless because it's such a generalized marker of inflammation. I've got a a new little puppy dog, and my puppy dog likes to chew on my hand with sharp teeth, and I have little puncture wounds. And so if I measured my HSCRP, it would be elevated. Now, am I, you know, do I have an autoimmune disease because of that? No, I don't. I have a puppy dog. So they uh, I like, I like my, myeloperoxidase a lot. You're right, GGT is, I think, the most sensitive of the liver function tests, and we do measure that. Uh, the, but if I have someone who just kind of runs an HSCRP of, of two or three, and it's dismissed by their regular doctors, and it's fairly persistent, then that's the person that I go all right, you, I got news for you. You got leaky gut and, you know, let's find it and find out why you have it. Um, and so that's, a, I guess, a useful baseline. We use a lot of other tests that one of which is called the Pulse test, P-U-L-S, I'm not sure it's available in mm. South Africa, that looks at a lot of inflammatory markers on the wall of blood vessels. And for us, it's very useful to just look at how much underlying subtle information there is in, in blood vessels. Okay. Uh, we measure TNF alpha, we measure IL six, we measure IL ten, and these have been helpful in the past for us spotting some of these people. Brilliant, and of course, okay. the whole the whole host of autoimmune markers.
0: Fantastic. Okay, great. I think that gives a bit of a grid. Now, just putting, you know, Doctor Noakes, uh, Professor Noakes on the on the show. I've had him twice on. I said, I think you need to reframe your acronym. You know, LCHF, low carbohydrate, high fat, to low carbohydrate, low fat, and high fat, and the low fat being industrial seed oils, all these fats you know, your uh, linoleic acid, your soybean oil, your palm oil, your canola oil, your corn oil. In terms of what people should eat from an essential fatty acids point of view and regarding the the plant paradox, because I think that's important. What are the major lectins and what are the major fats that they should and shouldn't be eating? Because I think that's important. We'll talk about time-restricted eating and the when at a later stage, but let's talk about the what, first of all.
1: Yeah, so you know the major lectin-containing foods are, are really all the grains and pseudo-grains. Any any grain or pseudo-grain that has a hull, the hull actually has the majority of the lectins. Uh, there are two grains that do not have hulls: they're millet and sorghum, and there has never been uh, a lectin found in millet or sorghum. The the bean and legume family. Now I. I eat beans several times a week. I am not anti-bean, as many of my critics say. But you have to know how to handle beans and to detoxify the lectin content. Now, I I go around the world studying ancient cultures. And the the interesting thing about ancient cultures uh, is that they traditionally soaked their beans and for extended periods of time uh, the Incas for instance soaked quinoa they fermented it until it rotted and then they cooked it now you know why did they do that because quinoa is actually full of lectins and fermentation in general is a very good way of breaking down lectins Uh, beans if you soak them actually what happens to them yes you do leach out lectins but interestingly beans actually have their own bacterial coating and when you soak them particularly for prolonged periods of time they ferment so the bacteria ferment the coating of the bean that has the majority of the lectins and you look at cultures and you go, yeah, you know, these guys have figured out how to do this over you know, thousands of years. And we're, we should learn from this. Um, we forget that the Nightshade family, um, all of us uh, originally are from Africa, Europe, or Asia, and none of us including Native Americans, are actually from the Americas. And so none of us until Colombian trade 500 years ago were exposed to the major nightshades like tomatoes, like peppers, like eggplant, like potatoes. And cultures have learned to deal with these. The Italians did not eat tomatoes for 200 years after their native son Columbus brought them back. Uh-huh. And to this day, um, chefs know to peel and de-seed tomatoes before they make sauces. And I spend a lot of time with chefs in Italy and, you know, I'll, I'll go, you know, okay, you know, let's make some tomato sauce. Well, first, you know, we got to, you know, we got <laughs> what do you mean? Uh, how'd you learn that? Well, my mother taught me. Well, where'd your mother learn this? Yeah. Her, you know, her mother taught her. Mm. And so, uh, you know, I was in France a couple of weeks ago and uh, the, the crudites, they had peeled and deseeded cucumber slices. And I go, why would you do that? Because uh, the peels and seeds of cucumbers uh, actually have lectins. In them. Sure. So, so, so anyhow, so you get, you get rid of those things. Peanuts and cashews are not nuts at all. A peanut is is a bean. It's a legume. And a cashew is the only nut that's actually exterior to the fruit. And interestingly enough, in the Amazon, the uh, cashew nut is thrown away and the fruit is eaten. Um, so that gives you an idea. A cashew, a cashew is actually part of the uh, poison ivy family. Mm-hmm. And why anyone would want to eat poison ivy is beyond my comprehension. I Don't get me wrong, I love cashews, but I don't eat them anymore. So those are some of the major things. The other thing that I think is well worth noting is um, there is a lectin-like protein in much of our cow milk called casein A1. Uh, It's the primary uh, casein in the Holstein cow, which is the black and white cow, which is really the major breed in the world. Now there is a two cows, which in general are the Swiss Brown and the Guernsey. Mm -hmm. And the A2, when we test people for A1 and A2 sensitivity, a lot of people tolerate casein A2. It's in goat, it's in sheep, it's in water Buffalo, and it's in a few cow species. But most people who think they're lactose uh, intolerant. I think they're casein-1 yeah. intolerant. So, Fantastic. so those, are, those are the major guys we, we try to get out of people's diets. Now, yes. the good news is most of these foods you can pressure cook. So and soak and pressure cook, and you can pretty much destroy the lectins. The only thing you can't destroy, gluten cannot be broken with pressure cooking. It's a really funky protein. So, and I've had a lot of patients try, even for hours, pressure cooking, wheat, doesn't work.
0: Okay. So great. And then, you know, Dr. McCullough's work on linoleic acid. I know you've had a lot of conversations with him and just tell us about your take on, because that's obviously going the the lectin free, which I think is, but what surprised me is how long you're doing it. I didn't realize it's nine months, which is significant, but that's good to know. And that's good to put in the show notes, but tell us about Omega sixes and sort of the pernicious and pervasiveness of the Omega six.
1: Well, and I, I wrote about this in the new book, uh, unlocking the keto code. And I, I agree that we certainly have gone overboard on short chain omega-6 fats that are the seed oils. But we have to remember that both linoleic acid, the omega-6, and linolenic acid, the short chain omega-3, uh, are essential fatty acids. They're essential for the component of the mitochondrial membrane, They're essential for manufacturing cardiolipin, which is really the key component of the mitochondrial membrane. And they're essential because we cannot manufacture them. We have to eat them. So I don't want to throw these guys, you know, under the bus because they are essential. On the other hand, these are almost always associated in the Western diet with refined sugars or refined grains and i allude to some studies in the new book that in fact if you want if you separate out who's the culprit it's actually the association with the high fructose corn syrup the sugars the refined grains and those oils and when you separate the sugar out in animal models those oils are not the culprit it's the combo so i think we again i are we a wash in linoleic acid yes but we're a wash in the sugar that goes along with it
0: absolutely So So, tell us about the lectins and that in terms of autoimmune and fatigue, because you wrote that energy paradox. So how does those lectins affect fatigue and specifically people that come in and say, I've been exhausted for years? Is it inflammatory based or how does that work, doc?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, You're right. I wrote the energy paradox because when I actually looked back on reasons that people Originally came to see me. One of my constant diagnosis codes was fatigue and malaise, and um, (laughs) and you know I'd go, you know, these guys are all suffering from fatigue and malaise. Why is that? Well, they all had uh, underlying leaky gut. Now, why would that in and of itself cause fatigue? Well. As as we now know, uh, 70 to 80% of all the immune system, all the white blood cells are clustered along the walls of the gut in our intestines. And as invaders come across the wall of our gut, uh, there is literally a war that transpires in the lining of our gut in our abdomen. Wars, as we're learning in Ukraine, cost huge amounts of energy. You need huge amounts of supplies. And you um, have to concentrate it where the troops are. And the troops win. I I, I use the example before COVID, uh, when somebody catches the flu, um somehow we we've associated catching the flu with feeling you know like crap it hurts to move all we want to do is lie in bed we you know just lay there we don't want to think we don't want to even watch tv we just want to lay there and you go well there's nothing in the flu virus that can do that so what's happening well our immune system says oh my gosh you know there's a nasty invader we need to marshal all our forces. We need every last bit of energy diverted to our defense system. How are we going to do that? Well, we need to take everything that's destined for the muscles, everything else, and we need it. So how do we do that? We make the muscles hurt because it hurts to move. And that way we'll have this energy. And so if we think about that from this constant now, literally war that's being waged inside of us from leaky gut, it's really no wonder that we just, you know, we're just chronically low energy and fatigued because we've got this literal war going on inside.
0: Brilliant. So your energy must be incredible having discovered lectins, I don't know, 20 years ago in terms of that your inflammatory markers must be really low. You probably haven't even noticed the decrease in energy as you've aged.
1: No, you know, I'm, uh, I'll turn 72 in a couple, couple of weeks. And, um, You know, I I actually work six, uh, I see patients six days a week. And on the seventh and on seventh day, I'm at Gundry MD. So I actually work seven days a week. I work Saturdays and Sundays seeing patients. And I have no, you know, no plan on stopping um, because, you know, well, I see patients because I learn from my patients. So when I started doing this, you know, I was a researcher. I was a cardioporacic surgical academic researcher. And so when I started doing this, I said, well, heck, you know, I want to, I only know research. So, you know, would you mind if I ask you to eat certain things and not eat certain things? Would you mind if I asked you to go buy a couple of supplements at a health food store and see what happens? And let's look at your blood work every three months. And then I started, you know, publishing about this. So I'll I'll bring up another thing which you asked about. How does this relate to autoimmune disease? Well, I think there's there's a theory which I like a lot, and I think it's becoming more and more accepted. The theory is called molecular mimicry. And our immune system actually decides whether a protein is a known protein that is is an okay guy or is on the no-fly list by using a barcode scanner. And these are called toll-like receptors. Uh, I wrote about them in the Plant Paradox, tiny little radars, as I call them, TLRs. And these guys read the barcode on a protein to decide, friend or foe. We think, according to this theory, that plants put barcodes on their proteins that look very similar. To the barcodes in our own proteins in, for instance, certain organs, skin, thyroid. Um, You choose the organ, the synovial membrane of joints. And so when your immune system is activated by leaky gut, and your immune system, we all go to threat level five, and we scramble the fighter jets, we send our immune system out, and our immune system goes around, and let's just use thyroid, for example, and our fighter jets, you know, go by our thyroid and go, oh my gosh, there's a protein in there that looks very similar to what I'm looking for. It's not quite the same, but we're at war, and I I don't want to miss, you know, an, an invader, and I'm going to shoot this thing down, and, you know, I'll ask questions later. And if you think about it from a plant standpoint, mm. this is, plants, I got news for folks, plants don't want to be eaten, they, they were not put here on earth to feed us, uh, they were here <laughs> first. Plants can't run, they can't hide, they can't fight, but they are chemists of incredible ability, and so they can make biologically active compounds that, if things happen right, that animal doesn't feel good, that animal doesn't thrive, that animal doesn't reproduce. We know that the original lectin compounds were used to paralyze insects. <laughs> Smart idea. Right. So, right? <laughs> so, if this system is true, and I certainly see it every day in my practice, then getting these molecular mimetics out of your diet is the way to, you know, calm down your immune system. And it's amazing watching these, you know, markers disappear. And I'll, I'll tell a personal story that which I've told before, I wrote about it in one of my papers. So years ago, when we first started doing autoimmune testing, we tested all of us. And my Office manager comes running in one day. She says, "Doc, you've got lupus," and I'm going, "Oh, come on, I don't have lupus." She says, "Yeah, you you know you've got a positive anti-nuclear antibody." And I go, "Hmm, that's interesting." I said, "You know, my father's side of the family had massive psoriasis. My dad was on methotrexate for 51 years. 51 oh. years, yeah." And I said, "You know that that makes sense." Uh, I wonder if I can turn it off. So, and I'm always experimenting with food. That's my job, I think. So I was perfect for two weeks. I, did not a cheat, not anything. You know, I followed my rules perfectly, checked it in two weeks. It was negative. So I said,
0: oh,
1: that's cool. So when I was writing the longevity paradox a few years back, I was editing the book in New York city and I had a a weekend where we didn't finish on Friday. And I said, hey, I'll stay over and we'll finish on Monday. So I said, you know, I really need to see if I can reactivate my lupus. So I cheated, you know, I had tomatoes, I had pasta, I had pizza, I had bread, and I had beans. And I came back, and I drew my blood and my ANA was positive again. Wow! I went, Whoa, that's really cool. You know, boy, am I excited. I can turn it on. So I said, I wonder how fast I can turn it off. So I waited a week of being perfect. And after a week, I was negative. Now, what does that tell me? It tells me that uh, my gut wall is in pretty good shape. Mm. Because if I eliminate these things, I can, you know, I can patch these few holes but i you know can activate my autoimmune disease you know mm. on a weekend and i so then i go wow okay so i've got a pretty good gut. i've got some leeway but you know when i look at my patients with really bad you know autoimmune diseases or two or three or four of them that's why i think it takes so long to finally get this mm. in place okay some of my patients get to a point where they can cheat and repair the damage. Other ones, I'll tell you, one little slip up. They feel it. Um, I, I profile a young lady in the Plant Paradox who had MS, and uh, her presentations were numbness on the uh, left side of her face and left hand numbness, and we, and she had a few she had a lupus marker, and so she resolved all that went away. Um, she calls me, her family or my friends, and she calls me one day. She says, uh, "My left hand's going numb," and I said, "All right, what'd you do?" And she said, "Well, you know, I was out with my friends, and you know, I, I had a piece of pizza." And I said, "Well, what did you do that for?" And she said, "Well, I got to have a life." And I go, Great, have a life in a wheelchair. Yeah, and people say, Well, you are one you know cruel bastard, how dare you? Well, that snapped something in her, yeah. And from that moment on, she, she knows she can't cheat. She's gone on to get married, she has a lovely child, she's not flared her MS, and you know, she's. And, you know, it's a great success story, but she's an example of, you know, this one little silly cheat and, you know, there it was manifested.
0: And that's a, you know, that's the problem. People on a continuum, like you said, some people are highly sensitive some people are less sensitive and people have got to get to know their bodies and I think like you 72 years old you know your body you know what triggers you some of the certain lectins might trigger a greater response in that inflammatory response so it's to get to know yourself but let's talk about the when time restricted eating if you want to call it intermittent fasting we've spoken about the what we've spoken about the how if you want to eat these foods well then you better prepare them except for gluten like you've said and some of them that you cannot through preparation deal with these lectins but let's talk about the when and Obviously, you know Dr. Uh, Volta Longo and his work, but how's your protocol with regards to fasting?
1: So um, I've been talking about intermittent fasting for a very long time. In fact, as far as I know, and anybody can correct me, I was the first to write about it in my original book, uh, Dr. Gundry's Diet Evolution. Uh, and wow. I'll tell you a, a, quite a funny story. I had an entire chapter on time-restricted eating. And my editor, who was in at Random House, which was my first book, said... You know, this book is so crazy. I'm, I'm cutting this chapter. This Amen. is nuts. Amen. This is nuts. And I said, no, it's not nuts. Look, I've been doing this now for years. From January through June, every year, I only eat one meal a day, wow. uh, the OMAD diet. And I was doing that then. And I said, look, there's all this literature that backs this up. Uh, and she said, I'll tell you what, I- I'll give you two pages. That's all you get. Make your case. You only get two pages, and if anybody wants to look, there's two pages. So I was uh, wow. lecturing at the at the Mind Body Green Symposium a yeah. couple of years ago, pre-COVID, and my editor, my old editor, comes up to me. She and she walks right up to me. She said, "I am so sorry," oh. she said. I should have known better. Yeah. You're always ahead <laughs> of your time. Yeah. You told me that this yeah. was, And she said, will you ever forgive me? So, yeah. So why should we do this? Well, first of all, as I talk about in uh, both the Energy Paradox and in Unlocking the Keto Code, Dr. Rafael, Rafael de Cabo at the NIH did some beautiful, elegant experiments that tried to explain why calorie restriction seems to be the cynical known of life extension and almost all animals tested. And uh, he said, you know, I think we've, we've got this wrong. And he basically said, look, in a controlled laboratory setting, we set out the food that these animals are eating. And if you're deprived 30% of the calories that you would normally eat when that food is presented, you're really hungry and you're going to eat that food very quickly. As opposed to if the food is just kind of set out or mm. several times a day, you're going to nibble on it. And he said, I think it's the time a period that these animals are not eating The extended fast during the 24 hours—that is actually what's the real driver. And so uh, he talks about the elegant experiments he did. And long story short, he showed that if you put mice feed out at three o'clock in the afternoon, and mice are mainly nighttime feeders, uh, they will eat up all that food and. They'll be fasting for, oh, 12, 14 hours every day. If you leave the food out 24 hours, they'll just kind of nibble on it throughout the day. And so he looked at longevity and the the mice he controlled the time the food went out lived 11% longer than the mice who ate all day. The mice who we controlled their feeding time had metabolic flexibility, the ability for our mitochondria to use fats as a fuel versus sugars as a fuel. And we should be able to do this on a dime, like a hybrid car. They had metabolic flexibility. The all day munchers didn't. And the mice that had time restriction, they had no beta amyloid formation in their tissues. And mice get that as they age just by manipulating the time period. So it didn't really matter what food they ate. Um, They actually used two different protocols. One was a fairly high sugar protocol. The other was a fairly high fat protocol. And it actually didn't make much difference whether it was high sugar or high fat. It actually was the timing of the eating. And that's been confirmed in the Italian athlete study that I also talk about in Unlocking Mm -hmm. the Keto Code. So they, they take Italian cyclists, put them on a training table for three months. Everybody has to eat the exact same thing. One group has a 12-hour eating window. They eat breakfast at 8 o'clock in the morning. They have lunch at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. They have to finish dinner at 8 o'clock at night. The other group has a 7-hour eating window. They have breakfast at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. They have lunch at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And they have, they have to finish dinner day. Three months. The group, that, as the seven-hour window loses weight, the other group doesn't, same amount of food, Hmm. the group with the seven-hour window, their IGF-1s, their insulin-like growth factor, plummets. The other one doesn't. They have identical athletic performance. So you go, wow, that's a really powerful tool. And as I talk about in Unlocking the Keto Code, Explain why that's actually such a powerful tool. And that has to do with mitochondrial uncoupling. And wow, is that a fun subject, but uh, difficult to explain.
0: Well, let's do some basics there, unlocking the keto code. Where are people getting it wrong, the misconceptions, how you've made it a lot easier with unlocking You know this, this incredible diet, this ketogenic diet that's got a long history. We're not going to get into it. We've had Prof Noakes on twice. We'll link to that. But let's talk about how you've upgraded this keto diet and also maybe talk about CGM, measuring ketones. Ketones are not the super fuel that people think they are, what they're doing from a longevity and a health perspective.
1: Yeah, when I was writing the energy paradox, I like to back up what my thoughts are with research and preferably human research. Um, so I've been one of these proponents that, you know, ketones are this amazing fuel. They're great for your brain, uh, they make you an efficient fat burner. And uh, I mean, really think about that for a minute. If you become an efficient fat burner, The definition of efficiency is getting, let's use a car, more miles per gallon of gas. So if I wanted an efficient car, particularly now with gas prices, I'd get a Toyota Prius. If I'd want a fuel inefficient car, then I would buy a Ferrari. And there might be other reasons I'd want a Ferrari, but Mm -hmm. for the purpose of the analogy, it's a Mm -hmm. really fuel inefficient car if in fact ketones made me an efficient fat burner and fat has nine calories per gram, whereas carbohydrates and proteins have four calories per gram, and I was eating mostly fat and I was an efficient fat burner, then I should actually gain weight if that's how ketones work. In fact, that's not what ketones do. It turns out that ketones are signaling molecules that actually tell our mitochondria to actively waste fuel to literally become Ferraris. And that is actually how a ketogenic diet promotes weight loss. It actually makes you a profoundly (laughs) inefficient inefficient fat burner. The other thing that was striking to me is looking at research from both Harvard and the NIH on human subjects in ketosis, Uh, at full ketosis, the body only uses about 30% of its energy, gets gets its energy needs met by burning ketones. The rest primarily comes from free fatty acids. And if the brain really loves ketones, then at full ketosis, the brain ought to be burning it. In fact, even at full ketosis, 30 to 40% of the brain's fuel needs have to be met by glucose, even at full ketosis. The other thing I think is sad but true, the research in athletes, um, looking again at, at the Boston data, Muscles will burn ketones as their preferred fuel about three days into ketosis, but then it rapidly wanes and they start burning free fatty acid. You look at the athletic stu- studies by Volick um, and at three days, you get this problem with quote keto adaptation, and it may take you two weeks to become keto adapted and your performance will increase. But yet ketones are the most used fuel by muscles at three days. And so that's when your performance tanks, mm-hmm. yeah. but when they're burning mostly ketones. So yeah. the human evidence goes ag- against everything that we've kind of, you know, talked about. Yeah.
0: So they're burning free fatty acids then. Is that what's happening? They're using the glycerol backbone. That Exactly. Glucose. Correct.
1: Yeah, that you're you're separating that off, and that that becomes the glucose, and they're burning free fatty acids, and so beta oxidation is actually how most of the energy is is generated during ketosis. The other thing I think is important early on in, in the keto um, wave of the last twenty years or so is there was certainly people would start running elevated glucoses, fasting glucoses. And we can even show it in our uh, patients that your insulin levels begin to go up and you become insulin resistant. And there's a lot of arguments. Oh, that's not real. It's fake. It's actually a good sign. Well, if you look at a starving animal in ketosis 24-7, mitochondria have to protect themselves at all costs. Because literally, if you're starving to death, making ATP, you've got to protect mitochondria at all costs. And mitochondria look out for themselves. And so what happens is you have to cut off the fuel supply to these energy-grabbing muscles. And so it's no wonder that prolonged ketosis produces insulin resistance because you don't want those muscles to have the available energy. You want to save your mitochondria. And we see this all the time. And so I mean, really, do you think any of our ancestors were in continuous ketosis? Can, mm. I mean, can you imagine you and I walking across the plains of South Africa, hadn't eaten in 20 days, and, and kill a water buffalo and go, oh, well, I'm only going to have four ounces because <laughs> you know I, I I gotta maintain my ketosis. Yeah. Really? Um, I mean, if we found a you know a, a hive of honey, oh no, I just want a tablespoon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's just it, it doesn't it's, make sense it's
0: feast and famine and it's the cycling between having and yeah. not having making sure that you go in and out of it incredible we are coming to the end of the show Doctor but tell us about unlocking the keto code why is it so much easier tell us just give us i do want people to go and get the book it is available here in south africa in bookstores and obviously on amazon so i do want to promote that but tell us about how important it is and the differences between the traditional ketogenic diet
1: Yeah, the exciting thing, and I wrote about this in The Plant Paradox, um, the the traditional ketogenic diet was an 80% fat diet for uh, children with seizures. And it was actually very effective. Uh, And the ketogenic diet was coined for uh, children with seizures. Uh, It fell out of favor with drugs, but drugs... were not perfect. And in the 90s, it was discovered that you could use MCT oil, medium chain triglycerides, at a much lower amount, say 50% of the diet MCT oils, with much higher carbohydrates and much higher proteins, and kids would have the same effect. And as any of us with kids or grandkids now know, uh, it is impossible to deprive a child of carbohydrates. And and I like to joke that it's impossible to uh, deprive an adult of carbohydrates uh, as much as we think we should, but you don't have to because of this knowledge. And so unlocking the keto code says, okay, ketones tell mitochondria to protect themselves to waste fuel by what's called uncoupling, mitochondrial uncoupling. And it turns out that MCT oil instantaneously converts to ketones in your liver without any other manipulation. And that explains why that diet worked. The other thing that's important is there are numerous other compounds, primarily polyphenol loaded compounds, all the dark colors, vibrant colors in fruits and vegetables that actually do the same thing. Finally, what's really exciting is that goat and sheep milk uh, have about 30% of their fats are medium chain triglycerides. In fact, most of the medium chain triglycerides are named for the Latin word for goat, which is capra. So capric acid, caprylic acid, and so forth. And so eating goat and sheep products like goat yogurt, like goat kefir, goat cheese, sheep cheese can actually uncouple your mitochondria by having you consume MCT. So what the heck? Why not?
0: Brilliant. Brilliant. Let's talk about your polyphenol day and your birthday. I said we were going to mention that how important polyphenols, your olive oil that you spent a lot of time developing. And as we close out the show, So uh,
1: polyphenols are probably the most potent mitochondrial uncoupling agents there are. Polyphenols were developed by plants to protect their equivalent of our mitochondria, the chloroplasts, which are damaged by sunlight, by heat, uh, by drought, and polyphenols protect mitochondria by uncoupling them. When we eat these plant polyphenols, we actually feed our bacteria with them. They love them. They're actually prebiotics. Plus, they convert them into compounds that uncouple our mitochondria. And that explains why so many of the the great diets of the world, and let's just use the Mediterranean diet as an example. It's loaded with polyphenols, whether it's olive oil, whether it's red wine, whether it's Fruits and vegetables that are brightly colored—you uh, name it—it it is a polyphenol-laden diet. Coffee is full of polyphenols. The Okinawan diet: eighty-five percent mm. of the diet of an Okinawan is a purple sweet potato, which is full of the polyphenol anthocyanin. That's their longevity key.
0: Brilliant. Well, I declare favor and blessing over you, Dr. Gundry, that you would carry on writing books plant paradox the energy paradox the longevity paradox and now unlocking the keto code thank you so much really appreciate your time we hope you enjoyed today's episode of the made to thrive show new episodes are released weekly and are published exclusively on the made to thrive podcast link if you're interested in receiving more thriving insights, as well as receiving other exclusive member benefits, visit madetothrive.co.za forward slash subscribe. This podcast is for general information purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and the materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content on this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they have and they should seek the assistance of healthcare professionals for any such conditions.